You're listening to episode 37 of Scaling Up. Welcome to Scaling Up with personal brand and freedom stylist, Elizabeth Hartke. Each week, Elizabeth brings you the tools you need to create a life of true freedom and fulfillment by scaling and monetizing your personal brand. Get clarity, become a leader in your field and make an impact that pays. Grab your favorite healthy smoothie or beer and let's get to the show. Well, guys, I really hope you're feeling epically prepared for today's episode. I have already recorded it and I had to go back and re-record the intro because my intro didn't quite set up what was to come in today's episode with Trent Shelton. Seriously, like I had to go delete it and re-record it because this episode was not only the best one that we've ever had on the show, but This is going to be some of the most life-changing content that you have ever received through a podcast. I'm serious. Trent, he's so next level in the value that he pours into people that it is. it has to be divine. It has to be heaven sent. You ever have one of those full circle moments where you're doing something that you either always dreamed about doing or something that brings you right back to where it all began? That was this interview for me because I saw Trent speak a few years back and I remember thinking, this was before I had a podcast, I'm going to interview him someday because his message was so powerful, I knew it had to get into the hands of more people. So today you're hearing from the Trent Shelton. You might know him as a former NFL wide receiver or the motivational speaker that's taking the internet literally by storm, but Trent's story, his vulnerability, the impact he's making on the world is so far beyond what each of us can even begin to perceive by just watching videos and seeing him speak on stage. I have always been absolutely blown away by how this man has triumphed over adversity in his life, not just in a grit your teeth kind of and deal kind of way, but in a vulnerable, raw, real, strategic way where he goes deep and he peels back the layers of the onion until he gets to the person he was born to become. I asked Trent to come on the show to share everything from the heartbreaks of his football career to the realness of facing struggles and depression in his life. And he just, he delivered. Like, I get goosebumps even thinking about what you guys are about to hear. He is a father, a devoted husband, a faithful man, and but he is a man on a mission. Let me tell you, he's here to teach us all how we can extract the purpose from our pain. I present to you the world's best interview ever no credit to me, (laughs) my interview with Mr. Trent Shelton. So Trent, since the day I saw you speak on stage at Brendan's High Performance Academy, I knew I had to get that chance to sit down with you and chat because what you brought to that stage that day has stuck with me ever since. So I could not be more excited to welcome you to Scaling Up. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Elizabeth. I appreciate you for sharing your platform. Absolutely. It was a no-brainer, Trent. So I have to tell you, to me, you are living testament to the fact that we can't judge a book by its cover. And you come out on stage that day. I'm sitting in the audience. You're a big presence, a big guy, former NFL player, tattoos. Never in my wildest dreams could I have predicted the vulnerability that would emanate from you on that stage that day. And you were more real than I think anyone I've ever seen speak live. It was incredible. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. You know, it's my freedom. I haven't always, especially when I spent in the NFL and just younger, you know, as a man and being an athlete, you know, you're taught to 
you know, kind of uh, suppress their emotions. And so being able to fast forward now, like being able to be transparent and open. You know, one quote that I always say is that your transparency will lead to your transformation, other people's transformation. So it's freedom when you can just open up about whatever it's on your heart. And that's what people connect to and relate to because we all have struggles, you know, whether you're talking to a billion dollar company or you're talking at a church, it doesn't matter. Everybody has struggles. And I just try to let people know that I feel you, I understand you, I care about you. And I know that you will receive me better if I open up about my struggles first. Yeah. Amen to that. And and I think so many people, like we compare ourselves to everyone and we we forget to put blinders on and just live from the inside out versus the outside in. And I just see you doing that. And I just want to give you the praise you deserve for doing that because you're setting such a positive example for people in leadership and personal growth and even business growth. Like that is just a fundamental thing that we all need to adopt more of. And I have your book right here, The Greatest You. I've already read it cover to cover and I started to go back through it and make notes in it. And I love the tagline, face reality, release negativity and live your purpose. And I know your journey to get here to this place where you had a book published and you're speaking on these big stages. It wasn't exactly a clear cut path, was it? Oh, not at all. (laughs) You know, even the thought of being a speaker, you know, I never wanted to be one. You know, I wasn't the guy who was in personal development. I wasn't the guy. I mean, even though my dad was a pastor, I never seen myself being a speaker. I'm a, I like to call myself now a social introvert because when I say introvert, people think that I'm shy. I'm not shy. I just was always the kid that stuck to itself. I was always in my room. I was always a thinker, observer. And even to this day, I'm like that. You know, when I walk into a room, people expect me to talk. And I'm usually the one that listens the most. And so being a speaker was never in my wildest dreams. But you know, not to go into too in-depth in my story. Of course, you know, I was a football player my whole life, played sports my whole life, different sports, basketball, baseball, track. And that was my identity. And in my story, you'll see that if you, you know, if, the, if listeners get the book, you'll see that you know, I made to the NFL, which was my wildest dream, my pinnacle of success. And when I got there, it's where I lost myself. It was the foundation really for my failure, as I like to say it. And in that moment, I realized, you know, through having Tristan unplanned and my college roommate committed suicide. It brought me to to rock bottom, and rock bottom really changed my life. And there was a promise that I made to my friend that committed suicide that I would literally be that voice for people. I consider myself a self worth coach, right? And to preach self worth and let people know just because you lose something or someone or whatever, a job, a relationship, you don't have to lose yourself. And there's more to your life. And um, you know that's a testament of my life. You know I lost my everything, and I gained something far greater, you know, in my life. Yeah, absolutely. Can we go into your story a little bit more? Because yeah, let's that, do it. that piece of your story where, well, you walk us through it. So you're achieving that dream of becoming an NFL player. And then, then what happens? Cause I know that your identity was tied up in that. And then there were a yeah. lot of shifts that happened. So I'd love for you to, to kind of just share that with us. Yeah. So um, Texas is, you know, California, Texas, Florida, all those football states. It's like, it's everything. It's like religion. And so I'm in Texas and I'm a standout high school athlete and, you know, blessed enough. I get a scholarship to Baylor University. Um, I do well there. Five years. I registered the first year, end up getting my bachelor's degree in speech communications. And I'm thinking I'm going to be a draft pick. Like I think I'm going to get my name called. I knew it would be mid to late round, you know, fourth all the way to seventh round. To make a long story short, my name never got called. And that was like the first moment, even though I was suppressing it, like when I look back, that was the first moment of me teaching myself to run from my reality, like teaching myself to suppress my emotions because everybody was asking, especially my mom. She's like, Trina, are you good? Are you good? And I'm just saying, I'm good. I'm okay. When I was worried, you know, I was like, man, like 
I'm supposed to get drafted and my name's not getting, getting called. Am I not good enough? I'm not fast enough. And after the draft, when you're a hot party free agent is what they call you. Uh, when teams probably would have drafted you, but they didn't, your phone rings off the hook. All these teams are calling. Um, I ended up signing with the Indianapolis Colts the year after they won the Super Bowl. And I have an outstanding rookie preseason there. I mean, it was the best rookie for receiver in the NFL uh, among tops NFL. Most of the superstars aren't playing, by the way. So I want you to think like I was killing it that much. <laughs> but, you know, the guys trying to make the team are getting the plays. And I was crushing it. And so I just knew I would make the team. I didn't. They ended up cutting me. And they signed me to the practice squad. And what I did was, you know, I bought a car. It was always a promise to myself. I, but then I started realizing that, oh, I have to look successful. So I get all these things <laughs> that are beyond my means at the time. Because I want to make sure people know when I go back to Fort Worth that I made it. You know, I get the watches, the chains, and all these things. And three weeks into being in Indianapolis, I get cut. And so basically I get fired for, y'all don't know what cut means. So I get fired. and. I drive back home 14 hours uh, with my new car and I just start keeping myself in my room because it's September. And if I'm out in Fort Worth, you know, everybody knows me in Fort Worth. If I'm out in Fort Worth, people are going to be like, why are you here? Like, don't you have a game tomorrow? <laughs> and so I didn't want to deal with that. So I kept myself in my, in my room at my mom's house and I was teaching myself to suppress things and like not deal with things. And I was filling myself up with other things, you know, substance abuse, alcohol, all these things to just numb my pain and run for my reality. I ended up getting called back maybe three, two weeks after that, back to Indianapolis. And, you know, not to drag this whole thing out, but that was my whole career in the NFL. Literally, like I played with the Colts, Seahawks, and Redskins. And I was cut probably nine to 10 times, moving from city to city. You don't know, like I got cut after practice, like literally walking off the field and the, the guy, the, I'll call, I call him the, the Grim, we call him the Grim Reaper. <laughs> He's, if he calls your name and tells you to bring your playbook, it's not good news. Right. And um, that was my whole like career. So it was pressure. When I dropped the ball at practice, I was like, ah, oh, man, I'm going to go home. And it was tough. And it led me to a dark place. And in that, I got, now who's Maria? She's not my wife, but at the time she wasn't my wife. Uh, I got Maria pregnant with Tristan. Pregnancy wasn't planned. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, what do I do with my life? Like, I didn't add this up to be like all these things. I'm a pastor son. And all these things are flooding my mind. And um, I wasn't a man at that moment. Like, just to be vulnerable, like, I, I didn't treat Maria good. I mean, it wasn't bad, but I, I wasn't the man I should have been during her pregnancy. I even kind of blamed her for certain things, and it, none of it was her fault. You see in the book, like, I was actually in an off-and-on, again, relationship. So I was still trying to run for my reality. You know, the fast-forward Tristan, obviously, was my greatest rescue in my life because Tristan made me start my journey on becoming a man, made me self-reflect. Because when you have kids, it's like, okay, they're going to follow your path regardless. So he made me self-reflect, and I started that process of rehab time. And then you know, my college roommate was the main catalyst that made me get super serious with rehab time. It's amazing. It's just such a powerful, I don't know, I just keep using that word testament. Like your testimony, like all those tests became your testimony. And it's such a powerful thing for us to be a witness to. And yeah. I feel like those defining moments that you talk about, like getting cut multiple times and yeah. going through that unplanned pregnancy and, and so many different things that you just didn't see your life playing out that way. Those are the defining moments. Was there one moment where you were sitting there with that heaviness in your heart where you just said, I'm fed up and I'm doing things yeah. differently? Or was this gradual? Like, how did this all come to be that you changed? Yeah, it was. Uh, so 
2008, Tristan was born. So the role to me becoming a better man started then, but it happened in 2009 in March. And I just got released from the Seahawks, so I'm not signed with anybody. Um, I knew I had one more chance in the NFL. NFL stands for not for long, for people that don't know. <laughs> and so you have, you know, you have three years to prove yourself pretty much if you're in the system. And so I remember being in my room at my mom's house, and I wish I could have some magical story. But it was just, I remember looking around and looking at pictures of my son and pictures of, like, my helmets and just everything. And I just had this moment of, like, Like, it's enough. Like, it's time for you, you know, whether it's football, own it. Because just to be super real, I wasn't giving my all in the football at that moment either. I was caught up in the lifestyle, you know, just to be totally transparent. And I say, you know what? It's rehab time. I have one more shot at this NFL thing. It's time for me to get my life, mind, body, and soul. And so when I say rehab time, it wasn't to, like, start an organization. It wasn't to start an Instagram or Facebook at that time. Literally, it was like, that was like my trigger to say, okay, let's go to the gym at 12 a.m. Okay, let's eat right. Let's get into my word. Let's read books. At that time, I didn't, wasn't even reading books. I couldn't stand to read. And so I did all these things to better my life. And that was the moment in 2009 where, you know, my life started to change. And I ended up running the fastest 40 uh, time, 4-3. I got signed with the Redskins. And then when I got cut with the Redskins, though, I was in a better place. Like, it, it was like, oh, okay, I got cut. But I knew that there was something bigger for my life, even mm-hmm. though at the time I still wasn't fully like grabbing that. But I knew that there was something bigger. So I was OK with getting cut, even though it hurt, because I knew like rehab time was it. I just didn't fully want to accept that also. Yeah, it's, it's just when you have a plan and we all do yeah. we all have a plan for ourselves, and then there's God's plan. Yeah. Do you ever feel like I feel like sometimes I'm asking him to give me the clarity and say, you know, I'm trying to do this thing, support me in this thing, help me get to where I want to go. And he's beating me over the head with all these obstacles in my life. And I'm just too blind or too ignorant to, to see them for what they are. It sounds like so many of those trials that you were going through were the Lord speaking to you and through you. And then one day it's like, it all caught up with you. And I don't know. It's just incredible to hear that, the power of that. And so, so what was your family, like, what role does your plant family play in your life and like the upbringing, getting to this point and then seeing that shift in you? Like, what was that like yeah. with your family? So, you know, my mom and dad, they're still together. I've been married my whole entire life. So 40 plus years. So I had a great upbringing, a great foundation, two older brothers. So I was the youngest. I always say they, they taught me what to do and what not to do. So I learned a lot from them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, they always supported me. They always supported me. And uh, they were always there for me. And it was it was funny because, you know, you can paint a picture in your mind that people only care about you for one reason. And my parents obviously cared about like me as who as Trent, not the football player. But I knew that made them proud. So when I finally like decided to quit football like completely and not pursue it anymore. I was so afraid to call my parents and tell my family because I always saw them taking so much, you know, pride and like, oh, you know, that's my little brother or that's my son because they were happy, not realizing that anything I would do, they would be happy for me. So when I had that conversation with them, my mom was like, I don't know what rehab time is, but if God like put that in your heart, go do it. And so they never really understood the vision, you know, and that's not because they didn't support me or because, you know, they weren't there for me. It was just a simple fact that God gave me the vision. So a lot of people didn't see it. You know, the moment where 
it shifted for me. And I, I don't know if I'm kind of fast forwarding, but it's a great part of the story was my very first big speaking engagement. You read that in the book. I mean, it's three, 5,000 kids. I really didn't want to do it. I got talked into doing it. I was supposed to go to arena football the next day, literally that Friday. Actually, I was supposed to go that day, that Friday, but I called the coach and said, hey, can I come Saturday? Because I want to do the speaking engagement. I mean, I prepared the whole night before it's a five-minute speech, and I forget everything when I get on stage. And I'm scared. I just say, God, use me. And I impacted these kids. And it was the feeling that I had at that moment. It's like, okay, this is it. This is what you're called to do, you're supposed to do. And this is before any videos went viral or anything like that. And I called my parents and I called my brothers and my friends and even the coach. And um, they were supportive, but they didn't understand it. You know, like, you're going to do what? You're going to be a speaker? You know, how how is how is that going to work? And um, my mom just told me, OK, if God put it on your heart, just go for it. And over time now, you know, my parents aren't on social media much. So they're now just starting to get it like how big it is. Right. But um, having their support meant everything. But they didn't really get it. A lot. A lot of people did. And I didn't expect anybody to get the vision because honestly, I didn't even know what rehab time would be. I just knew that God called me to do it. And I had to take that first step. Yeah. And I want to live there for a second with you because that is something so important for our listeners to, to pay attention to, but it, it was subtle, but you kept saying how they didn't, you know, the people in your life, in your inner circle, they didn't fully understand what you were doing, but you knew you had that peace in your heart that this is what you were being called to. And I think yeah. way too often we get derailed by everyone else's opinions. And imagine if you had ignored the whisper, or maybe at that point it was already a scream and you would listen to just not that your family was trying to talk you out of doing it. But like, I know for me, when my family or my husband or someone doesn't fully understand and isn't totally in it with me and they don't feel that excitement yet because they don't get it, it deflates me sometimes, but you kept moving forward. And, and that's why we get to be the recipients of things like rehab time and your speeches and your book and just all that incredible content that you're putting out into the world that's making such a huge impact. Well, you know what, Elizabeth, too, just to kind of stay on that, like, that's one of the things that I get a lot from people now. It's like, man, my my wife, my husband, or my friends, they don't see the vision. Or sometimes it's they don't support me. And what I tell people is, I know you want their support, but you don't need their support. Like, I know you want it, but you don't need it. And I almost think that the people closest to you are almost the wrong people to, like, bring your vision to. Because they're used to you. Like, and what mm-hmm. they do is they normalize you a lot. They can't see the greatness in you because they're so used to it. It's like if you have something that's valuable for a long time, like you can buy a new car. And after a while, that new car is just, oh, it's just a car now. People get used to it. So when they're familiar with you, they will normalize you. So I tell people all the time is go just give your gift to the world. There's a world full of strangers that's waiting to support you. And sometimes your family and friends will be the last people to really get it once they see the world getting it. But I just see so many people like, go there first. And if they don't support them, they're crushed. I'm just like, no, just go give it to the world and let the people need your gift, your talent, your idea, your whatever it may be, like give it to them first. And I promise you over time, those people will start to see it once the world sees it. Yes, that is so good. And it's so true. You can't, I don't know why, but you just can't be a prophet in your own land. I've experienced that (laughs) a thousand times over and it's so frustrating, but once you really get it, you get it and you can move through it and you can keep bringing your gifts forward. And I think another piece of that is that we don't need approval. Like if this book, The Greatest You was on your heart, Trent, you don't write this book wondering, or you might wonder, but you don't write it to prove other people wrong. You don't write it to find out how much money you can make on it. You write it because it's in your heart. Even if nobody reads it, it's meant to come out. It's meant to be 
out into the world and it will make that impact if it comes from that genuine place. So I don't know. I think that's so key. And you just made me think of a chapter in your book that really resonated with me. And I think it's something that our listeners will, will feel too, no matter what level they're at. When you're, I think you said it was your second grade teacher and they basically chalked you up as a loss. And she told you that you wouldn't amount to anything. And isn't it amazing that like moments like that, the labels, the identities, other people's perceptions, they stick with us and they bubble back up later in life. So I would imagine that moment was pretty defining for you, do you think? Yeah. You know, that's why it's important to dig up the seeds in your life, right? Because people always plant seeds. I mean, every single day somebody's planting a seed in your life, whether it's a conversation or whatever. So the, the, the necessary self-work is very, very important. And I spend a lot of time doing that. And just even like if I'm thinking a certain way, I'm acting a certain way, that comes from somewhere, right? Like even if you're angry or you get triggered, like where is that trigger coming from? Why am I triggered? And I think too many times in life, we just kind of say, oh, it's just who I am. No, it's something that happened to you in your past or a seed that was planted. And so with that teacher, you know, when I, when I told people I make, I want to go to the NFL, obviously, you know, I got the whole statistical thing, like, you know, less than 1%. And I don't, and it's true, less than 1% of people make it and that you, that can't happen to you and all these things. And that stuck with me. So every time, even peewee football or high school, and I would make a mistake, that moment would be there. That doubt would be like, oh, you're not qualified for this. You're not meant for this. You're not that that less than 1%. When I got cut from NFL, even when I was there, it was like, oh, that teachers, and not even just her, it was so many people. When you have a big vision and a dream like that, it kept popping up. And so a lot of times in life, what we want to do is we want to solve surface level issues because that's the, I wouldn't say it's the easy way to do it, but it's, it's an easier way. But if you just solve problems at the surface level, and you don't get down to the root, that issue would find, will find its way back to the surface. So it could be a relationship thing and you can get out of a relationship and get a new relationship. But if you didn't get down to the root of like why you accepted less or et cetera, more than likely your next relationship, that's going to come back up. And so I had to get down to the root of like, where are these things coming from? Like, why am I thinking like this? Why do I have this fear? And it's a lot of work and it sucks sometimes to go back to places that you try to forget but it's necessary and it's very uh, important to your growth. Yeah, absolutely. And I, if I feel like if people are listening, like if you get nothing else, you know, you capture one little moment of this entire interview. It's got to be that because this cannot go unsaid. That behind the scenes work that had to happen to peel back those layers of who you were becoming, like the Trent Shelton you are today. Will you tell us a little bit about that? Like. What was the healing process like? Did you have to rewrite narratives or was there therapy or reading or research? Like, what did that work look like? Because I know there are a lot of people listening who try to skip this part and they need to do it. Yeah. So I'll even just tell you, like, one thing that I've dealt with, you know, over the last few years that came up and and it still lingers. So I'm still working on this. You know, I actually had this come up like a few weeks ago. I'm like, ah, it's still there. But I've always had this fear of success. And it was weird because, like, I didn't really realize it until even with football, but, like, recently with rehab time, maybe the last two or three years, I was like, man, like, it's something there where it's like a, I don't know, success is like, it's like something there, like a fear. And what I've realized over time with my life is that every time I've been successful at something, I've had a pain attached to it. So football, NFL, right? Super successful but it was a nightmare. You know, I had relationships in my past where there were great relationships, but still pain was attached to it. And so 
in my mind, right, in my subconscious mind, I'm thinking success is pain. And so I had to like really like dive in deep to where that even came from. And that work actually was when I was a kid. And this might seem super crazy, but I was always the successful brother. And I don't mean like my bro- my brothers were super successful. And I always said I credit them for my success because it was always them two versus me. So they made me, especially to the football player that I was. But the attention was always on me. It was like, oh, what is Trent doing? Or Trent's doing this. And I would always like suppress that. Like I, I would always divert that attention and like change the subject because I didn't want my brothers to feel jealous. I didn't want other people to be envious of me. Even with my friends in high school, the same thing. Like when I was a star on my football team and I was getting the scholarships and my friends weren't and people asked me questions and people always say, oh, you're so, and I always try to divert it. And so that success thing I realized started there uh, with me being a kid trying to always divert it because even in those conversations that I deserved, you know, because I put in the work, even as a little kid, I tied that to jealousy of my brothers, even though they weren't jealous. I tied that into losing friends, even though I wasn't going to lose those friends. And I carried that seed with me my whole entire life. And so it wasn't conversations that I had with them or people, but it was me going back there. And I know I couldn't change the situation, obviously, because it's the past, but I can change the meaning to the situation. And I have to challenge it. I challenge that thought and be like, that's crazy. You know, your brothers love you, your brothers support you, or your friends, you know, some of them, you know, maybe would have been jealous, but most of your friends that are your true friends, they really support you. They want to see you win. And so I just changed the meaning of that. And I gave a meaning that really served me moving forward and grew my life. And so that's the beautiful thing about life that I want people, the listeners to understand is that you might not be in control of what happens to you or what has happened to you, but you're always in control of how you respond and the meanings that you give things. That's your perspective. It can be your power or your prison. And so I choose to give empowering meanings to everything, even in sucky moments, that will really help my life moving forward. I think you may have just left me speechless for the first time in a podcast interview. It's your power, not your prison. I, I that's incredible. I, I'm literally, I have no words. I just feel like that's a, such a gift you just gave us in that. And okay. So I have to tell you a little story trend because yeah. um, all this stuff, it's just making me think about something. I told you I had to tell you a story. It gives me goosebumps to think about. So I have a younger brother. He's seven years younger than me. And I still remember my mom giving me the ultrasound picture to bring into my first grade class for show and tell because I was finally going to get that dream of having a little sibling. And to this day, he is just like apple of my eye, a remarkable guy beyond words. And he's also always been a remarkable athlete. And when he was 18, he suffered his first of many traumatic brain injuries playing basketball. So concussion. Then he would heal. He'd push through it. He's totally an overcomer. And then he'd go on and he went on to play college basketball. And then he got another concussion. And this conti- this process continued for a couple of years, about four years. And it seemed like every single time he'd heal, he'd face another massive injury and then blew out both of his shoulders when he was done with the con- concussions. And now recently he's recovering fr- from a full pec reconstruction. And I know you're in the football world. He didn't get it even playing sports. And that's a pretty rare injury to blow it out completely. Through it all, I'd watch him evolve into the man God was calling him to become and facing each challenge. I felt like it was better than the last time he, he faced it. And he was in ungodly amounts of pain, but still remained faithful and fighting and so committed to that recovery. But there was this mourning of his previous identity as a basketball player. Yeah. And recently, you know, he's had to stop playing basketball a couple of years ago. But recently, as he was recovering from this pec injury, 
and this full reconstruction, I think that heaviness of the facing sleepless nights and another injury after six years straight, I knew he was probably getting to that tough point in the rehab journey. So I sent him, I heard your episode on Ed Milet's podcast. So I just texted him with the link. And Trent, I swear to you, it was as if, like he listened to it, it was as if his heart opened up to the possibility that maybe there's something more that he's being called to in his life. And he saw that you were meant to tell your story. And even though that maybe wasn't what you wanted your purpose to be initially, it was what your purpose was. And I've got that, you know, big sister Spidey sense. And I know my brother is called to share his story and that he's been chosen in a big way. And all of those tests are going to be part of that testimony he shares. But like I said before, you can't be prophet in your own land. So I could have told him that a thousand times, but you told him and it stuck. And I just, I have to thank you for it. I mean, that's all. Wow. That's it. This is just a thank you. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. And that's beautiful because, you know, every time I hear a testimony or a story like that, it always gives me chills because I look back on my life and I'm like, wow, like football wasn't it. You know, like it, it literally was to prepare me and build me and whatever you want to, whatever you want to use for rehab time, you know, and the more that, I'm able to hear like testimonies as your brothers. It just brings even more power to that. So yeah, I'm proud of them. Like I don't even know them, but I'm proud of them because that's the truth. You know, everything we go through is like, I mean, the hardest battles, you know, will go to God's strongest soldiers. I feel that, you know, like anybody that's in a position to impact lives or we're all in position, but anybody who's impacting lives, I feel like, you know, I want to say a massive level, meaning that you know, you have to have a ton of followers, but just making massive impact in someone's life or people's life, no matter how big or how small, it's usually the people that's went through the most. And it's great when you can turn that pain into your power, when you can say, oh, it wasn't pain. Literally, it was preparing me for something greater than that current situation. So I'm super proud of him. I can't wait to, you know, see the next chapters in his life and the lives he influences because everything he went through is now going to help other people get through it. So that's the beautiful thing. It is beautiful. And, and thanks for saying that. I'm pretty proud of him too. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a long road ahead. And I think for people who are, okay, so let's say like people that are in that kind of situation where they've had all these trials and struggles and maybe it's physical pain, maybe it's emotional pain, whatever. It's just like you feel that burden. It's easy to say, okay, now turn that test into your testimony or let right. your pain be your purpose. But like, what would you say to that person if they're sitting across from you and they're looking at you and they, they have that look in their eyes of like, I want more, but I feel lost. Where can they start? Yeah. So I would take them through my, my rehab process, you know, and it's three R's and it's pretty simple. And the first one is reality. I think you, I don't think I know you have to face your reality. My first chapter of my book talks about that. Like you'll never win your war by running from your battle. So I would tell that person, listen, like face it, whatever it is, if it's over, it's over. It's okay. It doesn't mean your life is over. So for me, I had to come to reality that football was over. And a lot of people, you know, well, I'll say for myself, like I was saying that I knew it was over, but it was still a part of me that didn't want it to be over. So I had to really like fully embrace, okay, there's something more to my life. The second R is release. And so I would tell them that you have to release the things in your life. Uh, whether it's people, whether it's your past, whether it's habits, whether it's the things, you know, lack of faith, whatever it is, you have to release those things. And I talk about it in my book called Burning Bridges, those bridges that lead you back to doubt, lead you back to fear, lead you back to worry. And the last R is repair. And that's digging up the seeds. That's getting around people 
And that's just, you know, sharing your story. And I tell people all the time, you don't have to have a perfect story. You know, so many people are afraid. I know I was to share because I'm not there yet, or I'm not perfect, or I still have these struggles in my life, or I'm going to be judged. All those things might be true, but I'll tell you this, even in your most imperfect moments, there's still the perfect purpose for you to impact somebody. So I would tell you to own your pain and how you own it is that you acknowledge it, right? You acknowledge it and you share it, period. And as you grow, you will start to see by just giving your voice to someone, going to give value, going to serve, it'll start to heal you. Because when you serve people and people feel value from your message, that tells you one thing, that you're valuable. Most people in situations that are in pain or don't feel like they're enough, the thing is that they don't feel valuable. I know, at least I, I know I did. So even when I go through times now, because I do, there's times where I go through, I'm stressed and I'm overwhelmed. And I'm like, man, am I really, you know, these things pop up. I'm a human being. I make sure I go serve because when I serve, it lets me know that I'm valuable. And if somebody feels value, that just tells you that you have value to give. So um, I know that was a lot, but I would tell that person to do all of that. <laughs> no, it's amazing. It's just like, I can, I, f- I feel not to, I don't know, not everyone's spiritual, but I like feel the Holy Spirit working through you in the way you just so eloquently lay that out. And I know you've written it and I know you've probably shared it a billion times, but it's yeah. like, that's the real deal. That's such evidence of you living that purpose and, and being purpose as you talk about in the book. And you, you talked about in greatest you, something that I wanted to highlight because it, it kind of like gives me the chills to think about the chapter that you, or the sub chapter preparing for battle. And you said something that I think sums up one of the biggest battles that people have to face. And it separates those who acknowledge that they are on purpose, that they are purpose and that they act on it. And those who never truly live the life they're called to. And that's, you know, I'm quoting you. Sometimes it's much easier to live with a difficult situation. One that's draining us of everything we're made of than to see things exactly as they are and commit to doing the work to get us out of the situation. Can I just like (laughs) kick my feet back and let you preach on this for a minute? Because that is everything to me. Oh man, I can go on for hours about this, but I think it comes down to, you know, it's just crazy to say this, but people are, and and when I say people, I'm not excluding myself because I've been there, but there's times where so many of us, I'll put it like this. There's so many of us that we get to a point where we're just comfortable with the stuff that we've dealt with. And we're so afraid of change. We're so afraid of something different. And, you know, I get this a lot, oh, Elizabeth, and it, and it bugs me because I used to say this all the time. People will tell me, this is the number one excuse that I get. Trent, that's easier said than done. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, everything in the world is easier said than done. Like, that's a dub moment. But when it becomes real for you, when you realize like, okay, I'm going to live the rest of my life in this pain that you're complaining about. I'm going to live the rest of my life as a version that, that, I'm, that I wasn't created to be. Like, I'm going to die unhappy. Like, you don't say easier said than that. You say no matter how hard it may be, how impossible it may seem, I'm going to get it done. And I think people have to come to grips with that because, listen, I get it. Moving on is hard. Healing is hard. Changing your circle is hard. You know, working on your mindset is hard. Diving deeper in your spiritual walk is hard. But you know what's harder? Staying in the same place. You know, you know, what's harder to stand in that fire. You know, it's harder to stand in a situation that you know for a fact isn't going to change. That's harder and much harder. So I would rather take the chances, right? I always say my definition of faith is believing the odds are beatable even when the odds say it's impossible. I would rather take the chance to say, you know what? I'm going to try this. I'm going to take a step forward, even though I don't know 
where I'm moving on to, but I know where I'm moving on from. And I think so many people get stuck because they don't know what they're moving on to. So it's like, well, I'm just going to stay here. Take that first step, whatever it is, something that's in your control. Like me, it was picking up books. It was reading the Bible more. It was uh, working on my physical fitness. That was it. And as I started to do that and do the necessary work just for our faith driven people, you know, I believe God rewards that. You know, so many of us, we get stuck in, I'm sorry, am I talking too much? No, go, okay, please. Cool. <laughs> I'm enamored. Okay, cool. So many of us, we get stuck with just prayer, right? And just from a spiritual standpoint, and prayer is powerful. I always tell people, we need prayer in our life. I pray every single day, whatever you believe in, your meditation, whatever it may be for you. But what's even more powerful is the actions you do after you pray or after you meditate or after you set goals or whatever it may be for you. Because a lot of us, we get stuck in there. We get stuck in wanting to be like just saved and we don't do the actual work. Dr. Tony Evans, which is a great pastor, a great author, he taught me this when I was in college. He was our uh, football chaplain. And he said, faith is in your feet. He said, if you really believe in what you're saying or what you're doing or whatever, your feet are sore. You should walk it out. You know, it's like faith is taking a step that you're just trusting God to put the ground underneath you every time you take that step. And I believe that's what my life has been a reflection of. And if you want to really change your life, it literally not to sound cliche, but it starts with you. Even the smallest change, the smallest step is the greatest step in the journey. And so you either can accept your situation and this could be the rest of your life or you can do something about your situation. But at the end of the day, no matter how much, how many podcasts you listen to, how many books you read, how many speeches you hear, you have to make that decision to change. I'm just sitting here smiling because Trent, that is so good. It's just so good. I want to just like hear it on repeat. Like, what do I got to pay to have you just like, <laughs> like the angel on my shoulder all day, every day? <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I love faith is in your feet. I mean, like I've never heard that and it's beautiful and it's so true. So talk to us about your vision. Like what's yeah. the dream trend? Like you've written this book now, you've got rehab time, you're on the speaking circuit, you're getting millions of views on your YouTube videos. Like, but what's the vision? What's the dream? Where are we going with this? You know, there's different avenues I could talk about just as far as like, you know, one is rehab sports for kids, AAU, because I want to train kids that are athletes, right? Prepare them with life skills. And of course, some people out there are doing that and shout out to all the coaches and parents that are doing that with their kids because it's needed. But there's a lot in this in this AAU world or this select sports world that's just about sports and it's really preparing these kids for the worst. And so that's an avenue. That's a big vision of mine where my heart is with athletes. So you probably see me doing a lot more with youth, with college, with even sports teams to help guys transition. But my main thing, my whole vision with rehab is I want to continue to do what I do because I know for a fact there's hearts that haven't received the message. But my vision is to have everybody in the world, right? And I know this is a crazy wild vision, but to know that they're enough. Like that's what I do and that's why I do it. Because even in the social media world, we all deal with it, you know, as we call ourselves influencers or whatever. We all deal with the stresses. We all deal with the overwhelms. We all deal with the, you know, having to be perfect. And, you know, sometimes we don't actually deal with ourselves offline. So I'm really big on letting people know that it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to share your struggles. It's okay. That doesn't make you weak. That makes you strong. And so that's my vision for the next few years. Like you're going to see me talk a lot about that because mental health is becoming very, very important. It's talked about, but I don't believe it's talked about enough. 
And especially with social media influencers, because I know a ton of them that I get in my inbox that are smiling for the camera, but dying behind the scenes. And so I want to make sure that, you know, they know that it's okay to step away. It's okay to say no. It's okay not to be consistent if consistency is taken away from your mental health. So yeah, all of that. (laughs) I am going to be front row and center every step of this journey, Trent, because I so deeply believe in what you're doing and I see the impact it's making. It's making it on me. It's made it on people in my family, in my circles. And it's, it's a big deal and mental health, you know, to me, I feel like a lot of people feel like if they didn't have some kind of diagnosis slapped on them, they don't have the right to say that mental health is a concern for them or something they have to work on. But that's, it's so not true. You know, you don't have to be diagnosed with something to, be able to say, I'm not well, and I have to start here and, and move through this and make this a priority in my life. hundred percent. I mean, just to be real, you know, this last two months since the book came out, May 7th, I mean, I've, my life has been like overwhelmed to the max. And I was actually got in a car wreck. It wasn't bad, but I got in a car wreck and I knew it was due to stress. I knew my mental health, even though I'm doing the things necessary, I had to like stop, you know, this past weekend and disconnect. I always say disconnect often, disconnect from my phone disconnect even from my family in a positive way. They know where I'm at just to go sit out, talk to God, release the overwhelm, release the stress and I get myself back on track. So just know that no matter who you are or where you're at in life, like nobody's immune to this. Nobody's bulletproof to these troubles and trials that come. So, you know, my protect your peace chapter, I'm big on protecting my peace and hiking and getting out in nature. Like you have to take care of yourself because if you don't take care of yourself, there will come a day where you might not have no you right, to take care of. You might say, well, it's selfish. No, it's not selfish. Self-care is, is not selfish. It's necessary because those that depend on you need you to be the best you. And if you're always extending yourself, you're always saying, yes, you're always doing, you're always helping, you're always giving, which are great things because I do the same thing too. But if you're not taking any time for yourself, you're going to end up being empty. And that's going to be a sad place to be at. I was there in 2015, 2014, and I promised myself I would never get there. So self-care is very important. Take care of yourself. Yeah, I can't pour from that empty cup. That's right. Big time. So tell us who to wrap up because I could have you on here all day and I'll, yeah. I'll spare you. But who has inspired you? Whether Who's like played that those roles that like those names and those faces come to mind? Whether they're people in your family or people who might not even personally know you, but they've inspired your journey. Oh, that's so hard. Uh <laughs> Cause it's so many people, you know, my real answer to this, but I'm going to like say people too, but my real answer is everybody. Like I am literally a sponge. Like I get inspired inspiration. Like I said, I'm an introvert. So I'm always like, whether it's somebody doing something bad that inspires me to like not do that or not go that way or not try to chase that or somebody who's doing things like, Oh, okay. And they might not ever know that they're inspiring me. So I'm a sponge of life. So the world inspires me, but as far as people, Outside of my family, my family, my dad, my mom, my brothers inspired me, my wife, like my kids inspired me. But people out there, I would have to say, um, man, that's just tough. Dr. Tony Evans is one for sure. Uh, He's definitely from my spiritual walk side. I would say, you know, Dr. Evans really helped me. His son, Jonathan, uh, we're great friends. And J.E., he's he's in the book. He's the guy actually that really is responsible for getting me on stage that led me to what I do today. And um from a leadership standpoint, I love John Maxwell. He's always inspired me by the way he writes his books, the way he teaches, like his quotes. Like, I, I love that. And, you know, it's so many other people. I mean, definitely people in the back of my book, 
you know, that influenced it. I mean, that wrote great things about it. But uh, anybody who's doing anything good in the world literally inspires me and influences me. Mm-hmm. That's great. And resources. Like I know a lot of people listen in and they say, okay, like I want to be reading what Trent's reading. I want to go to the seminars he's going to. I want to yeah. like, what resources would you shout out that have been instrumental in your life? Yeah. So book wise, one book that stands out to me uh, is The Purpose Driven Life was one that really impacted my life when it came to purpose. When I was in that dark moment, I would have to say also, like right now, I'm reading David, Go- David Goggins' book, uh, You Can't Hurt Me, li- listening to it actually, uh, which is a great book if you're trying to like build like mental toughness, like that guy's story is crazy. And then as far as events-wise that really shifted me, I'm trying to think, you know, the ones I haven't spoken because I wasn't a big personal development guy. You know, mm-hmm. I-, I never went there until actually I started getting on stages. But, you know, I would definitely say, you know, I love what Rachel Hollis is doing. I love her work, her and Dave, what they're doing is totally incredible. I actually got to speak at their event this past week. And even just being back there, it was super inspirational. Brendan is another guy. You know, Dean Graziosi is another guy. I I would just say, I would tell you this, go to events, go to conferences. And the reason I will say that is because, one, you're going to get great information. You know, the fast way to get somewhere is to learn from someone else. They always say experience is the best teacher, somewhat, but I feel like someone else's experience is the best teacher, right? You learn what to do and what not to do. And also... And being in a place of like mindsets. And so whether it's a conference, whether it's a small group, whether it's a church, whether it's the gym, you know, get around growth environments, I like to call it. Environments that that force you to level up, force you to grow, and also be supportive with you. Yeah, that's great. I totally agree. Those conferences are, to me, like kind of like adding fuel to the fire, but then you have to keep stoking the fire in between the conferences. You definitely do. do. Because you can lose all that when you go back to your reality. I have to just thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here with us. This is so much value, which I mean, is kind of your MO. You're just constantly pouring into people and I'm super grateful. And I know our listeners are going to be super grateful. Where can they come stock you down and find right. you spend time with you? For sure. Um, social is just at Trent Shelton, all social sites. And then my website is TrentShelton.com. And uh, that's about it. Awesome. Well, thank you. And you can you can count me in for continually pushing your message out to the world because I totally believe in what you're doing, Trent. I believe in you too. Thanks, Elizabeth. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today. Before you go, make sure you take a minute to subscribe to the show so you don't miss out on all of those amazing frommies, freebies for my homies, obviously, and content that we're creating just for you. And if you liked today's episode, can you help us out and help us get this in the hands of more people by taking a screenshot of today's episode and sharing it with your friends, tagging me, passing it around on social media. Guys, we've got to get this mission and this movement out there to more people so that they are living their purpose and living out their dreams and getting paid for it well too. I'm also so thankful for all of the amazing feedback we've been getting in the reviews. So if this podcast is helping you grow, Take a second and go review us on iTunes and be sure to check out today's show notes for more details and takeaways from the show. Until next week, guys, keep scaling up.